On this special edition of Security Management Highlights, we speak to a former member of the Secret Service on the planning and preparation that goes into securing the U.S. presidential inauguration. Plus, we speak to Kristen Rubin, Legislative Director for Government Affairs and Public Policy at ASIS International, about what to expect in terms of security actions and legislation from the new Congress and administration. I'm Holly Gilbert Stowell, your host of Security Management Highlights, and that's all coming up on this special edition of the podcast. President-elect Donald J. Trump will be sworn in as the 45th president of the United States on Friday, January 20th. Millions are expected to turn up for the ceremony that takes place on the steps of the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C., as well as the traditional parade and inaugural balls that go well into the night. There are also several organizations and groups that plan to demonstrate alongside the event. With all of the action and crowds and an increase in terrorist attacks on soft targets in recent years, securing the event is undoubtedly a challenge for the agencies and organizations working hard to keep everyone safe. For more perspective on this event and the planning that goes into it, we spoke with ASIS International member J. Kelly Stewart, CEO and founder of Newcastle Consulting, and a former member of the Secret Service. Hi, Kelly. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me. Kelly, can you tell us a little bit about your experience with the U.S. presidential inaugurations, both in the private and public sectors? So my experience actually expands different spheres, uh, both in government and in private or with corporate security. With regard to the inauguration itself, I was part of the U.S. Secret Service back in the late 80s, well, 89 to about 97. So that encompassed George H.W. Bush, who was the 41st president, and then President Clinton, and those respective inaugurations. So from the planning perspective, I worked for the uniform division of the Secret Service initially. So I stood post and was assigned areas, and we also did assessment on foreign missions and how they would either interact with the inauguration or whatnot. But I didn't do the core amount of planning. But as my career furthered, I got into more technical and advanced assessment of whatever I was assigned from uh, either presidential protective division or the people who were in charge of that actual planning of the inauguration. So we had specific duties. From the corporate perspective, where I got involved with a lot of these things was when I was director of security over at Intelsat, it was for certain inaugurations or certain events, we would have to deal with how would we deal with our personnel, how would we communicate given of where it would be and how that would interrupt or where would that be with regard to the inauguration. Right after 9-11 and the establishment of Homeland Security, they did start designating things as national special security events, which had certain parameters and certain criteria that surrounded a lot of these things. So it would go into the complexities of, you know, how many anticipated dignitaries are going to be at the event, the size of the event, the significance of it, what the duration of the event would be, how many multiple types of jurisdictions would have to be dealt with, and then also the threat assessments. Set the scene for us, if you could. What can we expect to see at the inauguration in terms of crowds, VIPs, events, and the security on hand? So say for in particular with this 58th presidential inauguration, they've been planning this since April. Um, and what they do is they bring together the entire team or even subcommittees, which is about 23 other different agencies or different areas that they're going to take assignment to. And typically, let's take, for example, in terms of they have an executive steering committee and then they have 25 subcommittees, which deal with crowd management, credentialing, fire and life safety, 
health and medical. And the expertise are from different and multiple local, federal, state agencies. So for instance, the Secret Service will typically be the lead agency on this event, but then you'll have the FBI that takes care of the investigative and intelligence side of things. And then you'll have FEMA, which obviously deals with some of the emergency management aspects. And then you have local, like Metropolitan Police Department, Park Police, as well as the Capitol Police, who will be coordinating things within their designated areas as well. So it's a multi-jurisdictional type of setup. And if you're familiar with these things, again, when I mentioned it being a national special security event, it's more or less looking at what the aspects of, say, anticipation of terrorism, civil disobedience, or other criminal activity that may go on. Like, take, for instance, this particular inauguration, there are permits being given to people who want to do protesting. So there's a legal aspect of and permitting of that to be done, but they'll probably be in a designated area based upon the threat nature of, of whatever. They'll be, they'll be peaceful, but you also have to guard against, okay, will that go into being it violent? Um, and a lot of the intel, a lot of the assessment will be done based upon who will be the attenders or who will be doing the protesting during that time frame. So when you're looking at, say, the threat assessment piece, it's very comprehensive. It's done by all the jurisdictions as a team, obviously with the service at the head of it, and then they just sit down and talk as to what are they going to do. They also go over scenarios, live exercises, as well as tabletops during the course of the time frame between April and right before the inauguration itself as to plan out, okay, what if scenarios or what would happen if something would break down or these threats would occur, and how the actions of each of the jurisdictions as well as the federal agencies work and cooperate together with regard to those type of procedures and alleviating or mitigating that risk. So going off of some of the things you just said, with all the soft-target attacks that we've seen in recent years, would you say that even since the Bush-Clinton era, there is an increase in securing the event against those type of attacks? Well, absolutely. I think the soft-target aspects, I mean, so one of the players in this thing is Metro and transport and Amtrak. When you're talking about transport into the city, there would be obviously designated areas where people are going to be dropped off. There are certain closures of certain stations with where the inauguration is going to take place. So that there's kind of a choke point, if you will, for looking where people are going to exit and enter and come into where the inauguration is initially going to be and where the pathway is for the new elected president to walk down Pennsylvania Avenue and then to the White House. That being said, when you're looking at the soft target scenario, again, with trains and whatnot, they rely up particularly on that agency that's responsible for that security. So in this instance, it would be Amtrak and transit security as well as Metro and their security, but also Metropolitan and the other jurisdictions that would deal with certain aspects of that security and how the threats uh, would come in. And they also take it from best practices, say from London as well as from Japan and how they dealt with their issues and maybe even Spain with the terror attack they had over there and what they could compile from that. They'll also reach out to other folks, say, within the coast of things, like New York, as well as Philadelphia and their transit system and their sort of target areas as to how they dealt with certain situations and then bring that into play into the D.C. aspect. I was going to ask you about something you've touched on, which is the partnerships between agencies working together at the event. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Again, there's extensive coordination between the agencies. Uh, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security sets it up as a national special security event. And then once it's designated as that, then the Secret Service assumes its role as the lead federal agency to take care of the coordination between the other jurisdictions, state, local, and federal. Along with that, FBI takes their role as, again, the person in charge of doing the investigative as well as the intelligence side of things. And then 
the other agencies will be given their what is their responsibility given what they have to deal with and where they have to deal with it. And then what they do from there is essentially get together and share the information together so that they can have a coordinated and quick response to anything that may occur. So Kelly, what can security professionals take away as lessons learned from planning for this type of event? We've talked about public-private partnerships, tabletop exercises. What are some of the lessons that security professionals can take away from this? I think the the thing that you can take away from this is the planning, the pre-planning, the preparation, and the exercising of getting prepared for something like this. So my core competency from not only the consulting aspect, but also even in the corporate security world is risk, threat, and vulnerability assessments, which goes to the core function of how you're going to plan out or create a security master plan, which this essentially is, and how you're going to operate with the different levels of risk that are going to be involved. So this is kind of a very complex and massive undertaking, but with a holistic perspective on security. And what other professionals can take from this is if you do the proper planning and preparation for something like this, then you should be able to create a security master plan surrounding any type of an event or any type of thing that you have to contend with as long as you bring in the proper expertise and the proper segment that you may not have but you can reach out to. So for, say, folks like who are directors of security or chief security officers, the main thing that they have to go into in the security planning of this would be the crisis management pieces, the business impact pieces, as well as are the lines of communication with their local police, the local fire department, and other agencies or even other corporations that they may deal with if, say, they're in, say, a commercial real estate complex or building, put together in such a way that they can communicate, collaborate, as well as plan properly and accordingly. In terms of the inauguration itself, obviously, for our democracy and for security people, it's you know one of the most fascinating things to view, to watch, to experience, not only from just looking at it from a security lens and perspective, but also the exchange of and transition of power from one party to another or just our democracy in and of itself. So with regard to a security piece of this, you're part of a very special event, and Hopefully, when we look at things from that type of lens, we uh, put it into perspective that, you know, when we do our proper planning and our procedures, and everything, they are very important because they do impact a lot of things that we do that culminate in something like this. Well, Kelly, once again, thank you so much for coming and sharing your expertise with us. I appreciate the time. Thanks very much for having me. When new leadership comes into power in the United States, ASIS International is keeping a close eye on the action. Kristen Rubin, Legislative Director for Government Affairs and Public Policy at ASIS, is here to provide a refresher on what happens in the legislature at the start of a new Congress. Plus, she gives us a look ahead at what to expect in the early days of the new administration, as well as how her department provides services and advocates for the society's members. Hi, Kristen. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Holly. I'm so glad to be here. Tell us a little bit more about government affairs and public policy and your role here. What services do you provide for the membership at ASIS International? So the government relations arm of ASIS works to develop and strengthen public-private partnerships with relevant federal government agencies and also intervene wherever necessary in the legislative process on behalf of the security profession. We also look to partner with like-minded organizations like SIA, the Security Industry Association, NASCO, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce has a very successful uh, national security task force that we're involved with. And we work together with those organizations in support or in opposition to good or bad public policy. 
Great. And speaking of public policy, it's 2017. The United States just got a new Congress. How does that new legislative session kick off? What is the congressional procedure that I know your office is definitely paying close attention to? So I don't want to sound like an eighth grade history teacher here for a second, but every two years, our government convenes a new Congress. 2017, as you mentioned, began the first session of the 115th Congress. The second session will begin in 2018. All legislation dies at the end of the second session of Congress. So when a new Congress convenes, members of the House and Senate must reintroduce bills as new legislation, which means they get referred to committees, the hearing process and amendment process begin all over again. So essentially, we're beginning 2017 with a clean slate. I think it's also interesting to note that the schedule for the 115th Congress includes an increase in the number of in-session work days for members of Congress, which I think speaks to the amount of business Congress hopes to accomplish in 2017. Both chambers have scheduled Friday sessions, and the House calendar includes several five-day work weeks, which is odd (laughs) for members of Congress, not for the rest of us, (laughs) in the first half of the year. So I think that's uh, much more than we typically see, and it speaks to how much they actually do hope to accomplish this year. So as you mentioned, it looks like they're ready to buckle down and get a lot of work done. What do they have planned in terms of security legislation, which obviously affects our association and our members? So I think, first of all, it's important to note that this year, the legislative process and priorities are slowed down a bit by the confirmation hearings for Trump's cabinet nominees. Once the nominees have been confirmed, the incoming administration and the Republican majorities of the House and Senate will be looking to score some early wins, such as, as we've all heard, repealing, replacing the Affordable Care Act... And I've also heard about implementing comprehensive tax reform. I recently heard Mike McCall, who's the chairman of the House Committee on Homeland Security, discuss his priorities for the year. And he mentioned bringing back his bill to create a commission to study encryption, possibly reintroducing legislation to reorganize the Department of Homeland Security's cybersecurity wing, and improvements to threat information sharing. It's widely acknowledged that the biggest challenge to federal law enforcement today is terrorists' ability to go dark and hide their digital communications with encryption. Congressman McCall introduced a bill last year to study that, but it didn't advance. So I think that's high on his radar right now. He probably will also reintroduce his bill to create a cybersecurity and infrastructure protection agency within DHS, which also stalled last year. And that would involve a major reorganization and consolidation of domestic cyber efforts into one agency within DHS. On the Senate side, once they're through with the confirmation hearings, I think we'll see the Senate Homeland Security Committee turn to hearings on the White House Cyber Commission report that was released in early December. The official title of the commission is the President's Commission on Enhancing National Cyber security, and it was released on December 1st, 2016. I remember putting a copy up on the ASIS website, so if you're interested, you can check there for from our homepage under what's new. I didn't hear you mention anything about a wall, but we know that President Trump will be pushing his agenda from the campaign about a wall between the United States and Mexico. Where does that fall in terms of moving forward as actual legislation, and are we paying attention to that? It's funny you should mention that, actually, because we just heard from General Kelly during his confirmation hearing that border security will be his top priority as Secretary of Homeland Security. He actually said that his highest priority as Secretary would be to lock down the U.S. border with Mexico. But he also says that the wall by itself 
itself will not be enough. You know, we already have 700 miles of wall and fence along the southwest border, and what's really needed is 100% visibility, which comes through a combination of increased surveillance and technology. So I think we will see policy, if not legislation, calling for a combination of those things, of physical barriers and technology together. So that's certainly something to keep an eye on in the months ahead. So in the coming year, can you kind of lay out your all's agenda here in government affairs and public policy? What are some of the priorities? In 2017, ASIS plans to focus our government relations efforts on furthering the partnerships, and in some cases, the MOUs, memorandums of understanding that we have with several key government agencies. We'll continue working with the FBI, DHS, the ODNI, which is the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, and OSAC, the Overseas Security Advisory Council, which is part of the U.S. State Department, to name just a few, and develop programs and opportunities that ultimately will benefit ASIS members. We hope to include noteworthy government officials as keynote speakers at ASIS programs throughout the year and just increase general involvement and, and opportunities for ASIS members. That sounds great. And Kristen, if members want to get in touch with you or find out more about government affairs and public policy, what should they do? We're always posting new documents and updates to the What's New section of the ASIS website, www.asisonline.org, and the dedicated government affairs section of our website can be found under membership. If someone wants to reach out to me personally, my email is Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-I-N dot Rubin, R-U-B-I-N, at ASISonline.org. Well, Kristen, once again, I'd like to thank you for speaking to us for this special inaugural edition of the Security Management Podcast of ASIS International. Thanks so much. Thank you, Holly.